So we are going to join a revolution this morning. The word is revolution, and it would surprise you what its original meaning was. It comes from the Latin term revolver, meaning what? To revolve. It first was applied in the very beginning to the movement of planets. And so what was discussed as revolution meant that which is repetitive, that which is dependable, that which is regular. And so astronomers would talk about the revolution. Around the 16th century, there were those who looked at the rotation of those planets and said, we think that when these planets line up, they create something in humanity. Even though those are regular, there's something that happens in humanity as these certain planets line up. Something happens to us that may be abrupt, something that is unforeseen, but if we can determine where those planets will be at a certain time, we can predict the future. And so these astrologers would counsel princes and generals and say, we think that when these planets get to this point, this is what you'll expect. It's no different than today. I looked this up yesterday for today. This is for me. How many of you, uh, your sign is Sagittarius? Well, here we are. This is for us. According to the planets, stop and go feelings today make headway a tough go. Feels like two steps forward and sometimes more than one back. And although the energy is in the air to overstrain yourself, if you wait for the most opportune moment, you won't need to push too hard to attain what you want. Wait and the barrier will go away. What you want may not come as fast as you'd like. Try to have a little patience. So for you or Sagittarius, you can leave now. You've had your prophetic word. It's according to what the planets do. So what, is, what transpired is that which intended in the beginning revolution to be that which was regular, that which was repetitive, soon came to mean that which is sudden, that which is unpredictable, that which is not man-made. It suddenly just appears. So when the Messiah came to this earth, he had revolution in mind. It was his intention to revolve us back to what was the original intention for you being birthed. It was to be created in his image. For that to happen, there had to be function and relation. The function was this, that we were to be the representatives of a very loving and authoritative dominion on the earth, we were to be the image of God here. We were to be to those who would rule in his stead. If you want to know what your purpose is, it's more than just to be a CEO or to run your own company or to be a wonderful mother. Your intention from God was for you to rule in his stead on this earth. There was a function, but there was also a relationship, for that was to be done as children of God, sons and daughters of God. And in fact, without the relationship, there could be no function. But we know that mom and dad, Adam and Eve, messed that up. They fell prey to a temptation to say there's an alternative ending. And instead of being children of trust, they wanted to be gods in control. They said, we can do this. 
And when they disconnected from God, it created an incredible disharmony in what God had created. You can read Genesis 1 and 2, and you'll find that even the earth began to rebel, the soil itself. The animals began to rebel. We began to blame each other for the problems in life, and wanting our own way, we blamed others and even resorted to violence. You see it today. It happened to Adam and Eve's two sons. One killed the other. It also created this intense power struggle between the genders. In fact, part of the curse was this, that women, when they give birth, will be in pain, and in addition to that, men will rule over women. It was part of the curse, and you go, yeah, I know, that is a curse. <laughs> and worst of all, we would be continually running from our Creator instead of running to Him. And the amazing thing is that He never stopped running after us. And that just blows me away. So when the Messiah comes, there is this, finally, the one who has come after us, who can give us the regularity and the repetitiveness of a God in control. Because simply, with God, there is an absolute. There is a, there is a regularity. There is a steadfastness. Several years ago, Pam and I went to Tinseltown to go to a movie, and on the way there, we stopped at Subway to get a sandwich to take into the theater because Subway sandwiches are much healthier than five-hour hot dogs and heart attack nachos. <laughs> and I know, I know when you go in there, there's a sign that says, no outside food or drink. So we stood in inside till it became inside food, <laughs> and we headed in. When you want to break the law, you can find ways. So you say, well, wait a minute. They're going to stop you. But, but see, we knew the assistant manager. We knew a guy who knew the boss. We thought, just let it slide. So sure enough, he was on duty right there where they take the tickets. And we walked in and said, hey, how you doing? Good. Good to see you. He went to this church till he moved out of town. He said, man, how you doing? Good. What do you got there? Subway. He said, you can't eat that in here. Oh, you'll let us buy. No. And the movie's about ready to start, so it's not like there's a whole lot of time. He says, either take it back outside and eat it or throw it away. I said, but it's just, no. He is no longer our friend. <laughs> and we made him move out of town. We thought because we knew a guy, we could get by. It didn't work. And it's no different than us today. We think that if we know a guy, we can get by. See, right now in our culture is this whole thing of relativity, that there are no real laws and we can just get by because we know, you know, it's just there's no absolute. So in response to that, Paul the Apostle writes these words to the church in Galatia, and he says this, We Jews know that we have no advantage of birth over non-Jewish sinners. We know very well that we are not set right. And, and notice that word, those two words, set right, you might want to circle those. Are not set right with God by rule-keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. 
How do we know? We tried it, and we had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement, we believed in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. See, the problem was this. The Jews knew a guy. His name was Abraham. They said, as we know Abraham, we get in. Even if we break the rules, we get in. And Jesus said, no, you don't. You don't get in. And we do the same thing today. We, 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 we bend the rules, we break the rules, whatever those things are. We know that God said do this. We don't do this. But see, we know a guy. We know a priest. The priest is going to get us there. We, 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 know, we know a girl, mama, my mom will pray for me. She'll get me in there. The family, the family that I belong to, they've always been part of the church, so I will get in. That word that I had you circle, set right, the word is actually the word Justified. And the bottom line of this is that we can't get right relationally or in our function, the way that God designed, without justification. It's just not going to happen. It is the only way. And justification is simply this, putting faith in Jesus to set us right. That's it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. So either he's a liar or a lunatic or it's true. In fact, he later would say, I'm the door, and it's a very narrow door. But I'm the way in there. But you see, we resort back and say, no, you can't be the only way. I mean, that's just closed-minded. And what's happening is we don't want to be children of trust. We want to be gods who control. We say, this is the way it can happen. Yeah, it's a little narrow, but we will, we will expand it out. So I, I want to cement that down. There is this absolute. And then... I look at this and I say, okay, there is this absolute that we got to put our faith in Jesus, and then there's got to be a lot more. So what is it in addition? Because there's got to be more to this, so it's Jesus and what else do I need to do? What is the rest of the stuff? And yeah, I know there's those things that Jesus said, I'm the way, and then he said, okay, and by the way, because when you're following me, don't hate each other, don't murder each other, don't lust after each other, don't objectify each other, you know, turn the other cheek. Those things are there. That's part of just loving God and loving people. That's the deal. But there's got to be more because I know there's more. There's more to it because when I was growing up in Buffalo, New York, during the holiness movement, we had other stuff. It was just not only Jesus, but we pretty well had figured out who was in and who was out. And so when I was growing up in Buffalo, New York, at a Protestant church, we understood that Jesus really liked Sunday morning service much more than Saturday Mass because the disciples worshiped on Sunday morning. And so the mass thing, he might let you get by, but it's not, he's not really happy about Saturday night. He doesn't do that. We knew how to appear. We knew that brush cuts, close-cut hair was godly, and that whole beetle thing that was starting in the 60s, that was from hell. God didn't want to hold your hand, I'm telling you, when you did that. And we know how to appear. You, you appear in modesty. It's, 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 it's the way it is. And so the strange thing happened. My dad, during those times when we lived in New York, ran camps for youth. And he had a camp over by New York City. And so what they would do is they would find kids in gangs and in street kids who wanted to follow Jesus or know more about Jesus, so they'd bring them to these camps. And i got to tell you that New York City camp or New York City's culture is a whole lot different than Assembly of God culture in the 1960s. 
So they would bring them in and they'd have all these rules, Jesus and the rules. And one of the rules was that, that men and women could not go swimming together. Disciples never swam with women. And when women swam, it had to be a one-piece suit. There was no way it could be a two-piece, no way, especially it could be a bikini. First day of camp. It's time for the girls to swim. They're heading down towards the swimming pond. And my dad is running the camp, sees them coming down, and there's this one girl from New York City, and she's wearing a bikini. He steps in front and says, you can't do that. She said, what? He said, you can't do that. What are you talking about? Because in her culture, it's no big deal. She just... I'm finding Jesus, and why are, you, why are you messing with me about my clothes? And he said, because he, you have to wear a one piece. She thought for a moment, looked at him, and said, okay, which piece do I take off? <laughs> my dad said, go swimming. Just go. <laughs> See, the question is this. Is what we're dealing with just Jesus, or is it Jesus and culture? That's the issue. Because with God, there is this absolute. There is this, this regularity. With Jesus, which just blows my mind all the time, there is this, there is this sudden and the unpredictable. Because I think i got it figured out. I've got it all wired. And Jesus walks in and goes, no, that's not the way it is. So I met a Muslim who's a government official in a Muslim country. And we're talking and he says to me, I love Jesus, which is good because he's a really good prophet in Islam. I love Jesus. And then he blows me away. He says, in fact, I have asked Jesus to forgive me for my sins. I said, oh, Christian, oh, no, I'm a Muslim, but I love Jesus. Now, what do I do with that? Because my culture says, when you get back to your country, put one of those fish stickers on your bumper. Identify yourself as Jesus, not in his culture. Well, how do I deal with that? Jesus told this story. I won't read it to you. It's, it's really easy to explain. It's out of Luke 15. And, and Jesus said, you know, the kingdom of God is like this, this leaven, this stuff that goes into bread, and then as you knead it, the bread it, in the dough, it just infiltrates everything. And he said this by that statement. He said, the kingdom of God, the power of Jesus is so great, it can infiltrate any culture. But what he didn't say is, I will take your culture at 8150 Oliver Road and put it in everybody else's culture. He said, I will take me into their culture and watch what I do in their culture. Well, the disciples responded to that, and they said, Whoa, 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 wait, 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 because, because everything's Jewish. Everything is just Israel. You don't even talk to a Gentile. Are you telling us that everybody will be saved? That's what, he, what they said. And Jesus responded and said, you better listen to this very carefully. The door is narrow. And that's what we, we just learned, that Jesus is the way, truth, and the life. The road is narrow. The door is narrow. But he said, the day will come when you will see going through that door and into the banquet that God has for all those who love him, you will see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the patriarchs, seated there, along with those crowding through from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And that blew them away because he's not talking north Jerusalem. He's talking north in the world, which contains not Jews, but not Jews, Gentiles. They're going to be sitting there. 
And it absolutely blows them away. And he says to them, and some of you will be watching this from the outside. Because those you thought were on the outside will be on the inside, and those you thought were on the inside will be on the outside. So Matthew tells us that on the day that Jesus explained this to them, this transpired, this played out. Matthew 12. While Jesus was talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to, them, to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. At that moment, Jesus is identifying who the children of God are, and it does not settle easy with them. It goes cross-grained to the accepted norms. He simply says this, when we are marked in Jesus' name, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we follow Jesus, we are family, and it's not Jesus and, it's just Jesus. Paul the Apostle breaks it down even further, and this, this is going to take us now deeper, and I want you to hang with me because for some of you, it's going to frustrate you. Some of you, it's going to go cross-grained to what you have been learning or you have received from where you have been. But I invite you, as I irritate you this morning, that you do not respond emotionally, you respond biblically. I want you to be like the Bereans. When Paul went to Berea, he said they were the most noble people because they didn't just listen to what I said. They searched it out in scriptures to make sure it was right. Do that. So Paul says this to the church in Galatia. You, all, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now listen to this. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Now he's not talking about the uniqueness. He's not saying we're all the same the way we were created. No, 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 no. But he's talking about equality. For you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is revolutionary. In the spirit of Jesus, Paul is tearing down the power struggles that came as a result of the curse in the garden. And when Paul says the Gentiles do not have to follow the God-given Old Testament laws to belong, those laws of the feasts and the festivals and the offerings, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do the sacrifices. He blows the doors off of religious conformity. I love the words of J.R. Daniel Kirk who says, the universality of Jesus' reign means that he can accommodate a world's worth of diverse expressions of the Christian story. It's not a tight system. You see, I'm, I'm a melancholy personality. That means I like everything analyzed and structured, and I like it in its box. And Jesus does not allow me to put his expressions in a box. And it messes me up. Because I want to know who's in and who's out. I, it just makes me more, feel more secure. But Jesus says there's no tight system. He says, in fact, there is a very broad scope. There may be a narrow door, but the application has a broad scope, a broad purpose. And Jesus tells us what that purpose is. Luke records it. For he says this, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news 
to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And when Jesus read that in the synagogue, he then said, and today this prophetic word comes true in front of you. He's saying, it's me. He sits down and his audience looks at him and says, wait, 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 wait. Aren't you Mary and Joe's kid? What are you saying? And Jesus says, you don't get it. And then he really irritates them because he says this. Don't you think that there were a whole lot of Jewish widows that were struggling during that great drought and God sent Elijah to a Gentile? Why would he do that? And don't you think that there are a whole lot of lepers in Israel that needed to be healed, yet God sends Naaman the Syrian, the Gentile, to Elisha? It so ticked them off, it said they tried to grab him and throw him off a cliff. It so irritated them. When it comes to rescue, revolution breaks down walls. We start with what we are used to. We start with our Lutheran culture or our Catholic culture or our Pentecostal charismatic culture or the American culture. And we see everything through that. Jesus doesn't see Pentecostal, Lutheran, American, Canadian. He doesn't see that. In fact, he said, all the walls come down. I just see the whole thing. When you were a kid, did you ever do this? Take your hands and go like this. Did you do that, everybody? Oh, don't be a stick in the mud. Do it. Okay, then you do this. Just hold it. Okay, so here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door. What? Oh, isn't that wonderful? And that's how we see life. Come on in and join me right here and see all the people. It's not that way at all. In fact, it should be this way. Here's the church. There is no steeple. Go through the open doors and rescue all the people. If it's true that he came to set every prisoner of war free, then it includes that Buddhist lady in Thailand that's being trafficked right now. If it's true that he came to set the prisoners of war free, then it includes that Muslim boy in Pakistan who's working slave labor in the brick factory 12 to 14 hours a day. If it's true that he came to set the prisoners of war free, then it includes those refugees from Nepal, those Hindus who have come here and in Erie, Pennsylvania, right now are feeling extreme poverty and oppression. Because in God, there are no walls. It's just wide open space. So we've got to start there, understanding that in revolution, the walls come down, and we've just got to infiltrate wherever God takes us and do what he said he wanted us to do, and he showed us set prisoners of war free because we have the authority to do that. Now, if that's going to happen, if that's going to happen, listen to me, if that's going to happen, then understand that revolution also tears down hierarchies. Now, this is going to get sticky. 
Because we know that Jesus picked 12 men, 12 men. And he said, I will disciple you. And he disciples them. And they go out and they heal. And, and, and they cast out demons. And they preach the good news. And they get cocky because they were rejects before. And Jesus took their off the reject pile and brought them in. And now they're getting cocky to the place that they want to argue about who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And men... Our ego just loves to grab hold of power and position. In fact, we try to bring it into the church. Hey, let's get me elected to this spot. Let me do this thing, and I'll be in charge, and I'll be in front, and, and, and we just carry it in. What they didn't understand is this, that Jesus never, God's kingdom never recruits the powerful and the glorious. But he looks for the weak and the shameful and infuses them with his power and his glory. That's how his kingdom works. So while the guys are fighting over who's going to be first in the kingdom, forgetting who they were when he came to them, Jesus continues to build his kingdom the way that he wants it built. And it's amazing to me that he goes after those who are unclean. There is this woman who's been hemorrhaging for years. And if you as a woman bleed continuously, you are unclean continuously. You cannot worship. You cannot go to the temple. You can't touch holy men. You can't touch those who are already clean. You are an outcast. You are unclean. Yet she's willing to risk making that rabbi, rabbi unclean because she thinks and has the faith to believe that he will give her mercy. And so she breaks through a crowd. She grabs the hem of his garment, and she is healed. And he turns around. This unclean woman does not rebuke her, but he says this, daughter, welcome to the family, you who are unclean. Oh, that's nasty. It's not only the unclean, it also is the unwanted. For Jesus meets this Gentile woman who wants a healing in her family, and, and she says to him, will you please heal in my family? And Jesus responds, he says, why would I give my food to the dogs? Oh, he just, he just smacks her because she's a Gentile. Why would I give my food to the dogs? And she, out of faith, says, but even the dogs get the scraps off the table. And Jesus said, this woman has incredible faith. Contrast that with what he used to say to the disciples, which was, you all have really dinky faith. Where's your faith? How long will I be with you till you get it? She got it. And Jesus makes an image out of this woman a woman and a Gentile. Jesus would also take the ones that were unnoticed. Jesus was having dinner with a bunch of really important people who, while he was having dinner, they were scheming how to kill him. And we're not sure what this woman, what she did, but she was very nasty. Some say she was a prostitute, a whore, and, and she broke in, and she came to Jesus, and she pours perfume on his head and on his feet. And they, there's a big discussion. If he knew who she was, he wouldn't even get touched. And, and he turns and he said, this woman has anointed me for my future. And wherever this story is told in the future of me, she will be mentioned on her incredible expression of worship. These who thought they were so good will be forgotten, and this one, this one who was unnoticed, will be spoken of forever. The gender roles are upheld. Jesus upheld them, by, and, he had, and he had to with those guys, because if he had started with women disciples, they, no one would have listened. So he started with these, these men within this culture, 
giving them positions of power. But Jesus is making sure that they see that the kingdom of God inverts such judgments. Jesus did not walk in and demand that the culture change, but he did demand this, that his community revolt. For to be great is to be the servant of all. So Jesus was in the home of Mary and Martha. Martha was doing the woman thing. She was doing the cooking and getting everything ready. And Mary goes into a realm that is male only. And she sits down at the feet of Jesus, which is male only. To be discipled by the rabbi, which is male only. This is revolution. And Martha says, wrong place. Get her back out here and help me. And Jesus says, I have authority to make this statement. She has picked the better thing. Jesus is making it very clear that Mary didn't have to be defined by socially determined roles. And could it be that women did not have to fill a role of subservience and dependence of men as the mediators of this new covenant, but they and Jesus could have their own? The revolution is on, a revolution of equality. Paul, in his letter to the Romans in chapter 16, mentions a bunch of people and says hi and, and says some things to them. And in that listing, he, he starts out with mentioning and commending Phoebe. Phoebe is mentioned as a deacon. Not only a deacon, but the woman who represents the church where she worships. She represents them. And Paul says she represents me and the church to do ministry in Rome. She is being sent as our emissary. That was ridiculous. That is revolutionary. Paul then mentions Mary, Tryphena, and Tryphosa, who he says are ministering the gospel. Those very same words he mentions when he says Titus and Timothy are ministering the gospel. In fact, he says, they are my fellow workers, and only one of the remaining men is even mentioned that way. Then he mentions Adronicus and Junia. This is a, more than likely a married couple who witnessed the death and the resurrection of Jesus and who are now performing miraculous signs, being sent in difficult places to proclaim the gospel with signs following. And he says, they are outstanding among the apostles. Paul is saying, I will not deny women any authority or opportunity for the curse is being reversed. And the revolution is on. In fact, Paul says, let me just talk to you that are married. He said, when it comes to your, your, your physical relationship, your sexual relationship, he says this to the church at Corinth. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. The fact that he said that a woman has authority over a man in anything, and especially his body, was just groundbreaking. He is saying that there is a mutuality in marriage. The revolution is on. You say, but, 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 but you go with that whole thing that Paul talks about, about worship, and there's, there seems to be this gender hierarchy. And he said, oh, yeah, 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 you're right. Because here's what Paul says. He says that because of creation, women are under the authority of men. 
He says that they are created for men and are man's glory. Hallelujah. But then he says, but let me finish the story. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 10. Don't, by the way, read too much into the differences here between men and women. Neither man nor woman can go it alone or claim priority. Man was created first as a beautiful, shining reflection of God, and that is true. But the head on a woman's body clearly outshines in beauty the head of her head, her husband. Amen. The first woman came from man, true, but ever since then, every man comes from a woman. And since virtually everything comes from God anyway, let's quit going through these who's first routines. Hierarchy is based on creation. Hierarchy is based on creation. Mutual dependence is based on new creation. That everyone is united in Christ, and there is no Greek or Jew or male or female, for the revolution is on. Paul says, I understand that there's culture issues we need to deal with. And so when Corinth, he says, look, ladies, don't worship without something on your head. Guys, don't worship with your head covered. See, we need to understand the culture of that day. How you dressed signified your sexual availability. So what he's saying is, I don't want you to dress in such a way that, that creates a communication during worship that you're available. Leave all that stuff outside of the worship. So when you're leading worship, don't, don't, don't appear that you're, you're trying to deal with the, the whole sexual thing at that time. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Would you like to go out and have some dinner? You're not going to do that. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Would you like to see my fabulous abs? <laughs> She's not going to do that. He said, you got to be honorable because in your culture that you live in, you must honor the authority over you because the authority has been established by God and you must honor the people that are serving under you. You must be honorable in what you do even though you are free because he says to the church at Corinth, he says, all things are lawful for you, but not everything is edifying, not everything is beneficial to the community or to you. So be careful what you do within the community because you do have the freedom, but you've got to be aware of the culture around you. It's important. So when Paul says that a woman should submit to her husband out of respect, you need to understand that he's dealing with a cultural issue. Because where he was in speaking to them in Ephesus, it was the culture that the women would respect the husbands and follow their leadership. It is the culture. He didn't walk in and destroy the culture. He walked in and said, here's how the kingdom works. So we need to honor that. So honor that. But... He turns it upside down on its head because he said, okay, ladies, respect your husband. Honor him. And then he says this to the gentleman. I want you to love her as Christ loves the church. Which means that he did not lord his authority over anyone, but instead took the role of a servant and served even those who serve. Mark 10 records this. Jesus says, not so much with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. 
For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but what? To serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I get so tired of guys going, tell her to respect me. Dude, are you loving her as Christ loves the church? Because if you are, here's the deal. He did not consider equality with God something to be held on to. But instead, he became a servant and gave his life for those he loved. You say, I'm, I'm the man of the house. I'm first. Okay, Mr. First, here's the deal. Do you consider equality with your wife something you have to hold on to? Or do you even consider your lordship something to be held on to? According to Jesus, he let go of it all. And he came to his bride and said, I'm here to serve you. In fact, I'll give my life to help you become what you've been designed to do. And what woman wouldn't respect a man who does that? You say, but wait, wait, what happens if, if you and Pam have an argument about, about something? Don't you get the final word? Oh, sometimes I think I do. <laughs> but I've learned the last word on my part is the beginning of the next argument. If we follow Jesus, here's what I figured out, because it's, it's not as detailed as I thought it was. In essence, it's this, that if we have to discuss something and we're in disagreement, then i got to go back to the words that were before, even the one about the woman respecting the man, which is this, submit to one another. Learn to work it out in holy reverence for each other and have this mutual equality and understanding for each other. There is this thing that I've heard for years that women should not speak to men or preach to men in public or in a, in a service. If that is the case, then Nicole, I rebuke you. <laughs> I want to take us back to that culture. Because if that is the case, if we're, going to, if we're going to peg everything on that, then let's make sure we do everything that Paul said in that paragraph. For he not only said that I don't let women speak in public, but women don't dress up to go to church. And all of you look really good today, so I need you to leave. He also said this, do not braid your hair or have your hair done. Barb, your hair looks good. I need an usher to take her out because she's done her hair. I also said this, do not adorn yourself with jewelry. So any of you that have necklaces on or rings on, you must depart. It was this cultural issue. The way that we interpret Scripture is to take the preponderance of Scripture and look at what it says and let Scripture interpret Scripture. We cannot just take a verse and say, everything's built on this. If the Bible says it, we've got to do it. If that's the case, let's go sacrifice animals. So if the preponderance of Scripture, the weight of the Scripture is Paul and Jesus saying women have been set free, that the walls have been teared down between Jew and Gentile, if there is this equality that has taken place, to take all of this Scripture that says that and this one piece over here that seems to run contrary, then we must understand that that which is run, running contrary is honoring the culture in which they are living at this time. But to let this culture dictate our culture, which is not living that way, is to run contrary to what God wanted for his kingdom. So our charge is simply this.
He said, I want you all to get those walls down. And I want you to go find the oppressed and set them free. And, he, and he says, it's, 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 it's a very broad scope. Now, there's only one way through, and that is the narrow door. It is Jesus, but the scope is broad for us to connect with whomever. And when they, when they have come to Jesus and begun to journey with Jesus, it is not our job to say, hey, unless you wash feet, you can't follow Jesus, because it's not there. There's, there's a, a church in, in, in Italy that if you don't shake hands the right way, they have a secret handshake, then you're not a follower of Christ. And I understand the culture. I understand that some cultures you've got you've to you've honor that. So you can come go some places in Africa where the men sit on one side and the women sit on the other. Don't walk in there and say, hey, mix it up. You've got to honor that. But understand, in Jesus' eyes, there is total equality. So our job is to walk with those who may be different than us and just keep it focused on Jesus and that narrow door. Because they are justified if they have faith in Jesus. The door is narrow. The, the scope is broad. It is not our task to give the curse the last word. It is our task to give the redemption of Jesus the last word. So how do we apply this? What do you do with this? Because this is really just a solid teaching from a scripture. How do you do this? Jesus said, figure it out. What do you do? He didn't give us a list. He didn't say, okay, if you do one, two, three, four, five, six, you're, you're good. He said, here, there, here are the principles. Here's, here's how you love each other. Figure it out in your world. So here's what I'm going to do. This is what I figured out. I must resist demanding that others follow my worship form and my perception of what is godly. I, just, I, I can't do that to you. And if you want to know more about the whole judging process, go back and we have a whole series of messages on this whole topic. Go back and, and, and download those. Get the podcast. Secondly, I must open up all the offices of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher to both genders freely. And I also must expect that those, whether male or female, serving in those roles will serve as the servant of all. And if they're not the servant of all, they cannot have those roles. Finally, I must treat my wife as an equal. So that people will see that we're blended together as one, which will demonstrate the love that Jesus has for his church. So I can't tell you today if the revolution of the planets is going to make me happy. But I can tell you that the revolution of Jesus, that I become the servant of all, will make me blessed. That's what he said. And so my only question for you today then is, what are you going to do with this? And Jesus says to you, figure it out. Would you stand? I do hope this causes great controversy for you. I do hope that you sit at lunch and you go, whoa, wait a minute. But when you do that, don't say, but my mama said. You go back and find out what Jesus said. And I'll be glad to discuss it with you. I do not take nasty emails. And I do not take letters that aren't signed. And Pam, I recognize your handwriting. So now I pray a blessing on you.
I pray that you will find the freedom that Jesus has brought to his humanity. I pray that you will be an agent of that freedom. I pray that you will find open doors into lives that are so disturbed and you will bring the good news of Jesus that our worst moments meet his best story and they are set free. May you be his ambassadors of freedom where hell reigns. And may you set people free and may you be set free in your life now. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.